and welcome to The Juice and the Squeeze. I'm Julia Strand, here as always with my co-host, Jonathan Peel. Hey, Jonathan. Hey, Julia. Hi. How's your pandemic? (laughs) (laughs) Good, and yours? Good, yep, 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 still going. Did you take a language in in school, in high school or whatever? Uh, Yeah, I I did uh, Spanish through middle of college. Okay. Uh, so I did German for um, uh, 7th grade through 12th grade, and, and because not a lot of people took German, I always had the same, like, it was like the same five people every year. Um, uh-huh. uh, Guten Tag, everyone, if you're, if you're listening, uh, with Herr Gans. And it was, it was actually, it was a great class, and I learned a ton. But what made me think of this now was all of the, did you always, like, we always had those, like, the foreign language films with the sort of, like, slightly artificial uh, uh situations to be in so it's like you know this week we're learning about the cinema and so right. everything <laughs> you know hello julia how is your trip to the cinema good and you <laughs> <laughs> and so i feel like they're, they're like you know in, in five years from now there will be a, there'll be like the the pandemic chapter will be all about these sort of stilted phrases about the pandemic <laughs> <laughs> what kind of mask do you wear <laughs> and, and actually, I, I, my favorite ones uh, were like from the sixty. Well, so I'm sorry for the uh, tangent, but this really this got me. You're bringing back all the memories. So we had black and white ones from like the sixties, and my favorite one of those was all about smoking. Uh, you know, oh. please, please don't smoke here. May I smoke here? Yes, you may smoke here. And so all the you know that was all about asking people to do things or not. But then there was some from the like late sixties, seventies that turned into color, and my and, and there was like a lot of psychedelic stuff going on, and like elves and and gnomes, and um, a lot of talk <laughs> about hippies, which I think uh-huh. at the time it was like, huh, okay. But now I think that like that was gold. I would love to find these uh, uh, somewhere. Um, anyways, if anyone has, if anyone listening has a hookup for like old. Uh, out of print German, um, uh, you know, language movies. Then, and Felix was the guy who would come on and introduce everything. I would be, I'd be game for them. Anyway, <laughs> a, a few years ago, um, I was traveling and had a had a guidebook for for where we were going that just had like you know some like helpful phrases in the back. That's where is the train station, whatever. But there was a whole section that was like. No, thank you. I'm not interested. I have a boyfriend. Please go away. Leave me alone. I need to call the police. And I was like, oh, goodness, what what, what am I getting myself into here? <laughs> right. Right. You can, like, infer infer something from what they think like, is important for I'm you to need? learn. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. Anyway, all of which is to say my pandemic is going okay. Uh, yeah. And I'll be happy when it's over. Yeah. Yeah. And and you're still teaching. Yes. Yes. We, uh, we finished on June 3rd. Um, so we're almost, almost on home stretch. Um, it is actually going much better than I thought it was going to. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, yeah, it's actually, I mean, there's a lot about it that's hard. My heart is really going out to some of my students who are, you know, in all kinds of complicated situations as, as, yep. as so many people are. Um, and they are still really tuned in and engaged and enthusiastic and it is really a pleasure to work with them. So I don't know if any of them listen to this podcast, but if you do gang, thanks. You're doing awesome. And I should say, so uh, this semester, so we're done uh, not Mm -hmm. to rub it in, but just statement Mm -hmm. of fact. Um, And this semester more than any other that I've taught, I got emails from 
um, students in class just sort of saying that they appreciated the class and, and they enjoyed it and, and learned something. Um, and so, I, you know, that means a lot to a lot to me all the time. And especially uh, this semester, not having any face to face contact for the, you know, for so much of it. Uh, yeah. I really appreciated that. So thanks to all of you. Um, well, anyway, in my class, but also just in the world who take the time to to let your teachers know that it's, you know, we really do appreciate it. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, can I ask you, Julia, do you think, you know, prep time for lectures and, and whatnot, I mean, are you spending the same as other semesters, more, a lot more? How would you gauge oh. it? Oh, I would, uh, <laughs> I would estimate it is four times as much. Um, because, so like my classes are mostly prepped. I've taught this class seven times before or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but in order to like prep them, so they're ready to record and then record them and then edit them and change the like kind of problem sets in class activities. I'm doing it like, like flipped classroom style. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, it's, it's not exactly, it, it is not starting from scratch, but it is, it is a tremendous amount of work. Mm-hmm. So if I, if I like wasn't doing a major retool on the class or something, and I was just going to teach it exactly the way that I had taught it last year in person, you know, it would probably take me like an hour or two per lecture to, you know, look at my notes and make small tweaks based on my notes from last year and Mm -hmm. and whatever. Um, But, but this time it is, I mean, I, I remember when I was like first starting teaching and I was like, how is it possible I can spend eight hours prepping a lecture? What is Uh happening? Uh Um, and it's, uh, well, it's not, it's not, it's not eight hours per lecture, but it's, it's a lot. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I found, um, I mean, I think mine was definitely more, maybe not quite as much more, but also I think you're more conscientious than I am. I could have been more, I think. Uh, um, but anyway, <laughs> I blame, I blame my twins, uh, for that. Yeah, well, <laughs> got a major um, confounding variable here. But I found, um, I actually, I spent a little bit less time than I maybe would have liked kind of retooling lectures, but I spent mm-hmm. way more time than I would have thought, um, just on general, like class organization. So just not, yeah, oh. not, I mean, it maybe it's good. So I mean, you know, there, there are things we can take away from this or that I'll take away from this. Um, and so what I felt like is, oh, I have to, every time I have a thought, I can't just say it in class. Hey, everyone, remember this thing is due Friday. I'm done. Yep. I have to go send an email to the class now uh-huh. or, you know, or whatever, a message or whatever, and make it, you know, kind of posted to, to canvas or to a bulletin board or something. Now, that's probably good anyway, because not everyone can come to every class. And so it's good uh-huh. to communicate that way. But I, that just took, I mean, it was not hours and hours and hours, but like the mental time of like remembering to do all those things. Uh, mm-hmm. really kind of added up for me. Yeah. Yep. So anyway, do, do you, well, I guess we'll, we'll have it. We'll have other talks about the fall. Uh, if you had to do this again, do you think you would have a lot of savings now having retooled it? Yeah. Oh, like if I was going to do this class yeah. again? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. It would be, it would be way, way, way easier the second time around. And actually just, if I have to teach anything online next time, it's going to be much easier mm-hmm. because I know, how the software works and, you right. know, just have right. all the, yeah, First all the practical yeah. stuff. Yep. Yep. All right. But gentle listener, believe it or not, this episode is not about learning German or <laughs> teaching online. <laughs> um, 
So we have had three episodes in a row about uh, open science practices, um, and today we're, we're going to kind of pull back a little bit and talk more broadly about um, something that is not specific to open science. It's not even really specific to academia. Um, it is about how we... Uh, how we cultivate and form relationships with uh, mentors. So how we um, seek advice from people who have more experience than we do and how do we know whether to take that advice and what are the you know benefits and concerns of having people who have been around longer than we have um, to listen to. If I had to guess, I would, I would guess that we have more than one episode to talk about mentoring. I bet so. Yeah. But anyway, we'll start somewhere. So, um, so why do we need mentors? Is that a, is that a stupid question? Um, no, uh, no. Um, the what's the line? The only stupid questions are the unasked ones. Mm-hmm. Um, we need mentors because I mean, I'm 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 going to give examples from academia, of course, because that's what I know. But my guess is this is true of, of many other things. Um, the the things that we are taught in uh the things that we are taught in school are, are not enough to to survive um that there's a lot of knowledge what's that uh, sorry shockingly after after Shock- years yeah. and years of all the training we get it's like actually right. you did not learn all that you need to know there's more um and so much so much in in science in academia um in probably a lot of different disciplines, um, there are there are unwritten rules, and there are edge cases, and there are you know uh, um, things that are not easy and concrete. And we're going to face situations that we're unprepared for. And so, having people to give us advice and you know show uh, speak from the longer view, I think is is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's like the advice angle. There's also the like the like coaching, pep talking, supporting, you know, lifting up when things are tough angle. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's the, like the, that, that emotional component of it too. When were you aware of having a mentor? I mean, I guess, uh, anyway, I guess it could be any time in life. I'm like in my own mind, I'm kind of thinking back to like undergraduate, um, times, but when, when would you have used the word mentor? If you said, Oh, this person is a mentor to me. Probably not to like till grad school is when people I think you know say like oh that's my PhD mentor because um, I think about you know like my high school teachers or my my undergrad teachers or something also as uh, primarily as people that like I took a couple classes with and maybe I chatted about with stuff but I didn't feel that same sense of like this person is connected to me and invested in me and you know mm-hmm. in the same way um, until grad school. Well, in grad school, I mean, lots of people have have great mentors in in lots of situations that isn't graduate school and before graduate school. But yeah, I think for me, it was, um, uh, you know, when you're with one one person for you know four or five or six or seven years, depending on your program, uh, it's a it, you know it's a pretty long term uh, you know relationship, professional relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I mean, by the way, as a as a side note, um, I started graduate school in two thousand. Uh, which doesn't seem that long ago, but it's like 20 years. And so I've known my PhD mentor for, for 20 years, which is longer than a lot of people in my life. Uh, I mean, uh-huh. you know, that we still keep in touch. Um, so it really is for many people, not for everyone, of course, but for many people, it's a really significant, um, uh, you know, relationship that lasts beyond the, uh, beyond graduate school. 
Um, I guess I mentioned that because I have another, well, so here's what I'm thinking is I never, it, it was a long time before I started to be intentional about seeking out a mentor. And I think, uh, if for me, uh, you know, I showed up at graduate school and I knew I wanted to work with someone and I was in their lab and then like intellectually, I was like, Oh, I am being mentored by them. But it just like happened in a way, you know, like once I got there, I didn't, I didn't think, is this person a good mentor or a bad mentor? Are there other people I should look out for, you know, to be mentored? It, it was a very passive, um, approach on my part. And I guess, you know, now years later, I've come to, I mean, I got very lucky and had good mentors, but I, um, if I had to give someone advice, it would be to be a little bit more active in the process. But I, mm-hmm. I don't yeah. think anyone gave me that advice. I don't know, or I forgot it. So I don't, what, what was your so, take on that? Yeah. Yeah. At some, at some point in grad school, I remember somebody saying like, you have to do stuff with somebody other than just your, your, your PI, your like primary PhD mentor, um, because you have to get other people to write you letters of recommendation when you're on the job market. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I kind of had this thing in mind of like, oh, I have to get other people to write me letters as a way of being like, I have to find people to impress and dazzle and, you know, so that they will think I'm great and tell other people that I'm great. Um, But I feel like it wasn't even until after graduate school that I realized that like the way that I did that was to cultivate a relationship with them that also involved asking for advice and running mm-hmm. things past them. And, you know, mm-hmm. um, that, that, uh, and, and so I guess if I could have like, go back and give myself different advice, it's, it's not like find someone who will say nice things about you. It's like form meaningful relationships with smart people who are invested in you. It's kind of like your advice about, um, uh, conferences where, where, you know, it's not, it's not networking. It's like making friends with people who, you know, do interesting stuff. Um, I'm sure I didn't quote you quite right on that, but it's, you get the but, gist, yeah. but, but yeah. this is, it's like, you know, it's not, you know, if you're strategic, but you want to find people who are a little bit ahead of you who can mm-hmm. help give you some guidance. I mean, I think that's especially important. Um, unfortunately there are lots of people who end up with PhD advisors who are not good mentors. I mean, who, who may be mm-hmm. horrible or just maybe mediocre or who may be great for other people, but not for you. Um, mm-hmm. I think that's a really tough situation to be in, which I want to, you know, come back to later, but that this is why I think kind of encouraging people to be, um, proactive about it is, is really useful. Yeah. And, and, and also I think that it is not, um, it's not reasonable to expect any one person to, to do everything for you in terms of Mm -hmm. mentorship, right? Like if, if, um, especially if people are in a situation where it doesn't feel like their mentor has their back and has their best interests and heart and is like trying to um, nurture and invest in their human capital and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, then I think like even more so it's important to seek out people who, who are doing that, you know? So like maybe your, your, if, if your PI is not actually a good mentor, then, you know, you think of them as that person who funds me and, you know, has some, has some research ideas that are aligned with what I'm interested in. Um, but then I, then I think it's also really important to seek out people who will take good care of you and give you good advice and listen to you and build you up when you're feeling down and those kinds mm-hmm. of things. Mm-hmm. And those people can change over time too, right? Like, so depending mm-hmm. on where you are in your, in your life or your career, or even within graduate school, like maybe, you know, year one, you, you need the different kind of support that you need in year, year five or year yeah. six. And so, you know, it's okay to kind of seek out new people. Mm-hmm. I remember, um, I think it was my second year of grad school or kind of early on. Um, 
having a conversation with my with my PhD mentor, who was who was great, um, where I basically was like, "Hey, how am I doing?" And he was like, "You're doing great." I'd tell you if you weren't doing great, and I was like. Yeah, that's not going to work for me. I need more praise. Can you give me more praise when I'm doing great? You know, uh-huh. and like, bless his wonderful heart. He was like, yeah, all right, I can do that. And then, you know, it seemed like made a, made a conscious and deliberate effort to be like, okay. hey, you're doing great. Um, but also I realized that like that is not a relationship that everybody has with their mentor. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's so, it's so person specific. Um, mm-hmm. But there is, there is some room for, you know, trying to, uh, asking for what you need. Mm-hmm. Although I fully realize that there are circumstances in which PIs are terrible and toxic and no amount of asking would make things work well. And mm-hmm. in fact, would like would make things worse for you. So mm-hmm. right. all advice with a grain of salt. Yep. But I do think, so I like, uh, so first of all, I mean, you know, well done on having the kind of the introspection to, to realize what you needed. <laughs> uh, and then also for, it's for praise. having the, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> we we could I mean well anyway I I could use more praise too to be honest so um, you're doing great Jonathan thanks. I like I, I like cr- hosting this podcast with you thank you thank you um, but then also having the um, uh, whatever uh, gumption to to say that because I think it uh-huh. is I mean no matter how wonderful your PhD advisor is um, and you know you and I were both fortunate I think to have. Um, to have good ones, but it's still, it's still hard to ask for things, especially if you're to ask for like more, (laughs) you know, more praise, right? Like that's a, that's a especially tough one to ask for, I think. Um, uh, So I really give you a lot of credit for asking that. Um, So, uh, yeah. And so, I mean, well, well, I think maybe we should, I'm going to try to stop giving the caveat all the time that like all this isn't going to work for every mentor and not every mentor is going to respond well when you ask them directly. So let's take that as a given. Um, but just assume you might be in a position where you can do that. Like, uh, I think it never would have occurred to me until much beyond graduate school that I should be that involved in my own mentoring. You know what I mean? Uh-huh. It's sort of like, again, I saw it as a very passive process. Like your mentor teaches you stuff and helps you. And I'm just like there to, to learn but I, but, but I think in real life it works better as a collaboration, right? So like mm-hmm. your mentor doesn't know what you need all the time mm-hmm. and how are they going to know if you don't tell them? And so, yes, that you trust them to have some wisdom, but I think communicating is really important. And, and now in a perfect world, the mentor would always ask you the perfect question to, to draw out of you the, the, you know, the thing that you should tell them, but in real life that doesn't happen. So you just have to sometimes, uh, I think, you know step up and do it. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah, I mean, and like, and listen to yourself to know what you need to, um, you know, if you were, if you're, um, I remember when I, when I first started, um, in a faculty position at Carleton, I, there was a, what was it? It was like a send off dinner for someone who was retiring or something. And, um, this, this amazing faculty member at Carleton, like, got up and she gave this speech and she was like funny and smart and like kind of brash and like just awesome. And as I was watching it, I was like, I need more of that in my life. That's, I want to, I want to like, I I want more of that. I want to learn how to do that and see what that looks like in different contexts. Um, And so kind of deliberately struck up a relationship with her. Not Mm -hmm. because I was actually like, she's not going to write me a letter at this point, you know, but I was just like, 
I want to, I want to see how you do that. You know, that's mm-hmm. like, that's how I want to be in 30 years. And mm-hmm. so, you know, how, how, how does that, how does that happen? Mm-hmm. Well, and I think sometimes, um, uh, you don't, I mean, so yes, in some situations you can go up to someone and say, you know, dear, dear Dr. So-and-so, um, will you be my mentor? Uh, sincerely, Jonathan. Um, but, in, uh, <laughs> but, but check in, yes or no, <laughs> right, right. Please, please respond in the in, uh, enclosed envelope, you know? Um, but mm-hmm. in real life, I think sometimes you just have to hang around people. I mean, yeah. so for two reasons, right? So one, if you do want to have a mentoring relationship with them, if they don't know you well, it would be easier to ask them this question, uh, check yes or no after like a couple months when they get to know you. Um, okay. but even, uh, there are situations where you do not have to have them sign on a dotted line to like benefit from their, their wisdom and their experience. So for example, um, let's pretend there's another PI at your institution who you really admire or think you might admire, like go to the lab meetings or, you know, do, do they have a journal club they're part of and just to kind of spend some more time with them. And that gives mm-hmm. you a chance to get to know them, but you don't have to like go through this whole thing. Like, you know, again, w- would you be my mentor and um, right. ask them for this big investment of time? Can we meet every Tuesday to talk about whatever? And maybe someday you'll get there, but, but maybe the first step shouldn't be that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or I guess, it, I guess it, it would be a big ask at that point. I mean, so that's another part is like, um, if you want to d- have a mentoring relationship with someone, uh, hopefully your PI is willing to take that on because you're in their, in their lab. Um, but in other situations, it's less clear. Like, so, I mean, mm-hmm. so as faculty members, like Julie, I don't know how it is for you, but, um, for me, I, um, I don't, I think I had an official mentor in the department for a couple of years, but then I think, I don't think I do right now, but anyway, the, the, the amount of time that that person is expected to spend with you is sort of very vague and, um, Anyway, so it really, it kind of falls on, on the mentee to direct it, which can be challenging. Um, Mm -hmm. and so anyway, so, so, uh, kind of lowering the barrier to those interactions can be really useful. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And as with anything, the more you do it, the easier it gets. Um, Mm -hmm. and I am, you know, now feel very comfortable reaching out to people who are more senior than me and saying, Hey, I'm interested in, you know, picking your brain about this or getting your advice about this for the following reasons. And then. Sometimes those turn into, you know, turn into a resource and, and, and something more too. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other interesting points that you, I think you already made Julia, but I want to come back to is just that um, it's, it's not impossible, but I think for most people, a single mentor is not going to provide all of their mentoring needs. Um, mm-hmm. And whether that, you know, I mean, so everyone has their own strengths and, um, you know, weaknesses or whatever, but among all of the things you want to do with your life, probably there's not one person who can like be the perfect, uh, encourager and teacher and all that. And so yeah. that's where, you know, thinking about, um, what people, what your mentor's strengths are and what their strengths aren't, uh, is, mm-hmm. is probably useful. I don't even want to say weaknesses, but you know, everyone has different, different things mm-hmm. that they excel at. And so, um, this also turns it back around a little bit on the mentee about thinking about what we want. Like, how do I want to develop, uh, I'll, I'll make it personal, right? Because I think, um, you know, I mean, I still have mentors and I still look for people to, to help me along. So rather than just sort of like 
I, you know, I whatever. This person could write me a letter someday. I don't know. <laughs> you know, I don't know how you pick it, but you, I want to think. Oh, okay, here's an area I really want to develop in is X. Uh, mm-hmm. And I look around and say, okay, here are, here are some people who seem to be really good at that, and like that gives mm-hmm. me a direction of uh, a more focused direction as opposed to like find find a mentor, you know, mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and that's where some. I mean, I, I um, oh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I mean, I but I'm going to. Uh, so I really appreciate from a faculty perspective. So so junior faculty often do not get mentored enough uh, and struggle finding mentors, and so a lot of departments have these uh, mentoring programs in place, which I think is a really good, like, it's a really good idea, but I think it's just hard to pull off. Um, I mean, something is better than nothing, but uh, it's just very hard to like pair people up and say, you are now so-and-so's mentor, you know, Uh Jonathan, Uh you are Julia's mentor, but I don't Uh know what you want. And like, no one Uh asks you what you want and no one knows what I'm good at. And so Uh like the random pairing of a, of two professors together, yeah, again, it's, I appreciate the thought, but I, I, it's probably not the most effective. Like, uh-huh. if that's the only mentoring you're getting as a faculty member, you're probably going to be a little bit, um, uh, you might be lacking a little bit. Right. <laughs> I, um, uh, when I got to Carleton, I was assigned a faculty mentor, um, and they did, like, ask me what I wanted. Um, and when I was starting on the tenure track and just, like, thinking about starting a family and, you know, kind of all of those, all of those considerations, um, and I said that I wanted a, a, a woman who is a scientist who's a mom mm-hmm. um, as a mentor. And they paired me with a wonderful mentor who was all of those things. And, um, and it was, yeah, and it was, and it was a very nice experience, but I think just a, a little bit of, you know, what are, ki- what are the kinds of things you're likely to want to talk to that person about? Mm-hmm. Um, it goes a long way. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah so, so, different mentors do different things. And and now, you know, when I think about the the people that I go to for advice and, and who I seek out as, you know, who, who my mentors are now, um, I find that it's pretty focused. Like I have people that I talk to my research, like if I'm talking about like research content area, I have people I go to. If I'm talking about like the process of research at a small liberal arts college, I have people I go to. If I'm talking mm-hmm. about teaching, it's different people. If I'm talking about like open science or grants, it's different people. Um, and so the, like I, I certainly don't at this point have like one main person who is my main source of advice. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I collect it from lots of lots of different places depending on the content. But I guess, and, and I think I'm the same way. Um, but just to like tie it back to your beginning of graduate school, it's I mean, uh, don't let me put words in your mouth, or you know, or I will, but then you can stop mm-hmm. me. Um, <laughs> but like, you probably didn't start that way, right? You probably started with know. having like a, a PI and a mentor, and then over the years you collected other people on your mm-hmm. on your list, and now you have you know multiple people, and you kind of know what to ask or what area you kind of look up to each person mm-hmm. in particularly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I don't think it's uh, I don't think it's ever too early to start that, right? Like I didn't start that. I also did not start that process until later. Um, and especially, I think I was not intentional about that until very late in in postdocing into faculty times, probably. But um, but there's no reason why you can't start that as a first year graduate student or whatever. Yeah, and, and I wish I wish I had had the gumption to do that. Um, you know, even in ways like you've after you have taken you know, a, a, a few classes with a few professors and figure out who the professor is, whose teaching style you like the most, you know, if you mm-hmm. have any interest in teaching and ask if you can come to their office hours or get a cup of coffee or something and just say like, 
I really like your teaching style. Why do you choose this approach? Mm -hmm. What's the thought process that goes into how you structured the class? Mm -hmm. You know, and like having a conversation with them about teaching. And that does not have to lead to like, now you are my mentor in blood for life. But, but once you've had that conversation and they know that you're interested about teaching, when a cool article about teaching this topic comes across their desk, they will send it to you and say, Hey, you thought you might be interested to know this, you know, and just like cultivating those relationships Mm -hmm. with people who have qualities that you admire, Mm -hmm. um, you know, call it mentorship or call it just building your (laughs) collection of friends who are interested in the same stuff as you are. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think that's, that's something that I think is actually relatively easy to do and is given that it is not a big ask and that you are, giving someone a compliment as you know, that, that, that like a compliment is the basis of that interaction. My guess is that most people will be very responsive to that. Mm-hmm. Right. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I totally if agree you got with an that. Email that was like, I love your teaching style. Can I come and talk to you for 20 minutes? And you could tell me about your approach. Right. You'd love that. Right. Of course. Of course. Love that. Well, yeah. and the, and the thing is, uh, I think, so I guess a couple of, a couple of thoughts. So, I think that the barriers um, to doing that seem bigger than they are in a way. Mm-hmm. So especially mm-hmm. if you're more junior, I think uh, it, when you're when you're describing it, Julia, it sounds very like casual and not a big deal. But I think it feels like a big deal if you're if you're a graduate student, say, and you're emailing a professor who you don't know very well mm-hmm. or whatever. Um, and so not to take away anyone's feelings because because you're allowed to feel like it's a big deal. Uh, but from the professor side of things, I think most professors do not think that's a big deal. So there's like a little bit of an imbalance where I think sometimes um, junior people slash graduate students or whoever feel like this is kind of a big ask or like a big deal to make this request. And I think most normal, not crazy professors do not feel weird getting that request. Um and so, actually feel good mm-hmm. and special. Well, sure, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Well, but the, so the second part of, uh, of of this was, you know, what's the worst that can happen is uh, professors get a lot of email. You might not get a response or the response might be like, I'm sorry, I don't have time. And so rather, like, so just be prepared for that possibility um, and don't take it as like you're, you shouldn't have asked and, and that was a stupid idea. It's like, no, it's a good idea. And it's good that you asked, and maybe you should ask again in six months or whatever. Or ask you know, somebody else. Ask somebody, exactly. So don't, yeah. don't, don't, I mean, I, I honestly think most people will say yes and be very positive about it. But if it isn't positive, um, I would not take that as a sign that this is a bad idea. It's just like mm-hmm. professors are busy and sometimes rude and, and, and not great over email, uh, as opposed to like, uh, how dare you ask? Like, I can't yeah, imagine right. someone no, really being offended no. by this. I think it's a really, you know, it's a really nice thing. And like, like you said, Julie, it's a compliment really. And, you know, I, I mean, and even like, uh, so I have had people get in touch. I think, you know, people who know me from Twitter or we've interacted at conferences or something, um, especially people who are at like big research universities and are interested in working at a small liberal arts college um, mm-hmm. who have said like, Hey, my PI told me about you or I follow you on Twitter or something like that. And, I'm interested in learning more about what it's like to work at a small liberal arts college. Mm-hmm. You know, do you have time to Skype or something? Um, and, and like, and, and, and I'm always happy to do that. And like mm-hmm. with some of those people, I have like kept in touch with them and how did the job search go and have you figured things out and whatever, you know, and like formed nice relationships um, because, because, because they asked me for something. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And right. Even not everybody's going to be receptive to it, but, well, I, but I, you, you wouldn't want those people to be your mentor anyway. <laughs> 
I thought you were just going to write back to them and say, I, I don't have time. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I know. I'm just kidding. Um, no, exactly. Well, and if you don't try, you're not going to, you're not going to have yeah. that. And so, I mean, the, the other thing that is interesting about mentors is um, the older you get, and, and this is probably like one of those things where it should be obvious, but, but in my own life, it always, it always, it has not always been obvious. The older you get, the younger your mentors can get. So like, so if you just consider adulthood, um, when you're 18, like all of your mentors are older than you, or I mean, maybe your age, but right. But like everyone's older than you and the uh-huh. older you get, then, then, then not everyone is older than you. Uh, uh-huh. and I mentioned this because now I don't, I wouldn't say that I, I don't always think of the term mentor with people who are younger than me, especially substantially younger. But so for example, there, there are several graduate students who I know are experts in certain things who I Mm -hmm. defer to and look up to their wisdom in, in a particular area. And, uh, and it is, um, uh, well, I can tell you that as a professor who's been doing this for 20 years and feels like on some level, I should know all this stuff. I do have to like eat some humble pie, um, within myself to be okay with that. Uh, luckily I think I do that pretty easily and it's not a big deal, but I, I think it is like, there is a barrier to asking someone who's 20 years younger than you for advice on how to do something. Um, <laughs> but it's a recognition that like, Hey, this person is really good at a thing and I'm not as good at it as I would like to be and they can help uh-huh. me. And so uh-huh. why, so I'm not restricting my, my mentors to, you know, to people who are older than whatever young age I am now. Uh, but you know, there's there's lots of people who know stuff, and like we should all benefit from that. Yeah. So, my former student, longtime collaborator Violet Brown, who was on the show a couple of weeks ago, um, I would like never do a like run statistics on a project in R without her looking at it. Mm-hmm. Like f- for the rest of my life, I won't ever do that. Like mm-hmm. she's, you know, she uh, um, has has so has so much expertise in that, and. Some of it I taught her, but most of it I didn't, and she has learned learned since. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like it, it feels kind of weird to use a word the word mentor about somebody who uses that word about me. But mm-hmm. um, but and I had it had never occurred to me that as I get older, that's going to be able to happen more. That's mm-hmm. great. It's yeah. just there's even more people that you know I can go to for stuff. Right. Yep. Yeah. So what about? Um... Is this too big of a a pivot? But like, what about mentorship in the time of pandemic or menteeship Mm. in time of pandemic? And I I think we've been focusing a little bit on like talking to the mentees, um, you know, more than the mentors, although I think it's, it's relevant for both, but like, how do you keep up communication and, um, how do you check on, how do you check on people? How do you check in? And what mm-hmm. if you have different expectations about communication? Um, and I think this is always true. I just think it's a little bit exacerbated when you like, you literally will not bump into uh, bump into this person in the hallway, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for X number of, of weeks. And so you, you kind of have to be really intentional about it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think you have to be really intentional about it. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so. I mean, I guess I feel like I have been checking in on people both professionally and personally more lately than usual. Mm -hmm. Um, And there, and there's also like, there's this interesting thing about, about the pandemic that a student of mine pointed out to me that I have been thinking about a lot. Um, 
which is that it has changed the nature of the question, how are you? Mm-hmm. That, you know, you used to be like, how you doing? Hey, yeah, good. How are you? What's going on? Cool. Okay, let me talk to you about this thing. But now when people are like, hey, how are you? They like pause and listen, mm-hmm. usually. And then you like actually have a conversation about how you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you know, so... so uh, we should be talking with all the people who are close to us about those things all the time. But, um, but, but I feel like that, like, like doing it more deliberately has, has lended itself. I mean, asking those kinds of questions and checking in more regularly has happened kind of naturally as a function of just talking to people about how they are mm-hmm. more. And then what if you're, um, so I, I think I've been, I think I've been checking in kind of the same with most people, which is to try, I try, so I try to talk to everyone, um, you know, everyone in my lab, I try to talk to everyone at least, you know, kind of weekly ish, mm-hmm. um, which is continued, uh, which I thought would be harder, but it hasn't been harder. And so that's worked out pretty well. But what if you're, what, what if you feel like your mentor isn't checking in with you, um, enough, or what if you have questions, like, how do you, how do you get over that communication mismatch? Yeah, that's tricky. I mean, Right. And, and you mean like exacerbated in time of COVID or like, yeah, I mean, I, well, so I don't think I ever, I, my mentors were, you know, or the, the, the main ones were not super hands off. Most of them were like, you know, there's a range of like how often it left on, uh, left to their own devices. Different mentors tend to check in with a different frequency and a different like level of, Oh, I don't want to say micromanagement, but micromanagement, right? So like yeah. some people will check in daily and some people will check in weekly and some people will never, ever ask you a question and they assume you will come to them when you need something, yeah. um, and which is a really big range. And so um, I, and my mentors were never super hands off and I think I always felt comfortable going to them. So I don't think I ever felt like, oh, I didn't get the time I needed or whatever, but I've seen um, – surveys and so this is this is like a big citation needed because i don't know where i've seen these surveys but i've seen surveys of graduate students where like top concerns was like lack of time with my mentor or my Uh pi um Uh and so i think you know so i think that's like a not not an uncommon thing and so i just you know i guess i guess i kind of worry when you don't have the the informal opportunities to check in um, mm-hmm. Oh, we had lab meeting together and everyone else left the room, but I'm going to hang out for five minutes and ask this question or say, right, yeah, yeah. can we set up a meeting? And when you're on a zoom lab meeting, it's like harder to do that or whatever, whatever. Yep. Um, yep. So I just, I think, you know, for lots of people, maybe everything is fine, but I think there are people who are probably feeling like they are floating a little bit uh, and yeah. could use some more input. And then what advice do we give them? Yeah. So I, I, your mentors in general, your mentors want to see you succeed, right? Like they want that for a number of reasons. One is that it's like easier for them. The other mm-hmm. is that you go on and to fame and glory. And then they were the one that mentored you. Um, the other one is like, hopefully that they care about you and they just want you to succeed because you know, they care about you as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so m- my hunch is that, is that m- most people most people would be responsive to um, to messages along the lines of, hey, this pandemic is hard. 
it would really be helpful for me to get to have a conversation with you about X, Y, Z, right? Or even Mm -hmm. it would really be helpful to, you know, check in once a week about how this project is going. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, because I, I think framing it in terms not of like, Hey, buddy, you're neglecting me over here. Mm-hmm. But in terms of, you know, this is what I'm working on. This is what's hard for me. And I would really value some of your input on, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, as I'm giving all of this, like, I don't want to put all of this on mentees, though, right? Oh, like, yeah, I know. We also, there's so much we need to do well, about the culture of how people treat graduate students and how, you know, their labor is valued and well, all of that. I'll make a deal with you. Five more minutes on what mentees can do, and then we'll turn to what mentors <laughs> can be doing. Because uh, I do, I, obviously, I do think it's both. It's both. But if if you're one of those people, um, you only have control over your part of it. So I want to like give the mentees yeah. some tools yep. to to handle it, and then we can talk about mentors too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so I think yeah. I think one thing to keep in mind is just that like chances are good that your mentor wants you to succeed, and mm-hmm. so if there is something that they are not doing that would be helpful to you. Probably they want to know about it as long as you frame it in all the right ways and, you know, don't make it be like telling them how they're failing you or whatever. I mean, this is just like mm-hmm. human relationship advice generally. Right. right? Like, right. Uh, remember when I was a kid and my parents would always say, tell me how you're feeling. Use I statements. <laughs> I would really feel better if I uh-huh. dot, 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 you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think, you know, if, if any of my mentees came to me and said, Hey, I'm having kind of a hard time and it would really be helpful to check in a little more often or, you know, would you mind sending me a note to check, you know, like any of those mm-hmm. things be like, yeah, absolutely. I want you to do well. That's part of, part of my job is helping you do well. Mm-hmm. And, and I, and I, you know, and I want to know how to do that. I mean, I think there's a little bit, and this is, I mean, obviously we're painting in very broad strokes and, and every situation is different, but many mentors have lots of people they are mentoring and also Mm -hmm. lots of other things going on in their life. And, and they probably do not know you as well as you know yourself. Mm -hmm. And so as much as they, their heart might be in the right place, them not checking in with you um, in many cases is, has no, is not a reflection of how that they don't care about you. It's that they have a thousand things to do and they are assuming that you're, you're fine. If you don't, if you don't tell them, Right. Mm-hmm. So there's a mismatch. Right. So maybe they shouldn't assume that we'll get to mentors in a minute. But like um, but but really, I think it's a little bit um, it's an easy. Well, it's not easy, but it's a it's a straightforward thing to do is to let them know something very concrete that you need. And I mm-hmm. think saying like so instead of saying, you know, uh, something very vague, like, oh, maybe it'd be good if if I got some more feedback from you. It's very vague. But if you say, can we please meet once a week about this project through the end of the summer mm-hmm. or whatever, like that's very mm-hmm. concrete. And I could like, if I get that request, I can just say yes or no, or at least it'll get me talking about something. Um, mm-hmm. All of which is to say like uh, they, ha- you know, for very busy people, um, you, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's sort of, it's kind of annoying, but it's really almost always true. And so, so don't think about it as nagging. I'm not saying you're nagging or like annoying or anything like that, but if you don't tell them, they're not going to know. Uh, and so you just need to, to be proactive about it, I think. Um, and again, that may not work, but I think if you don't try, uh, it definitely won't work. Right. So probably they're not going to magically just intuit that you need a weekly meeting. If you have, if this hasn't been how you've done things in the past. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I think I would also encourage like, 
uh, yeah. So what Julia said, like uh, mentors typically are going to want you to succeed. And so they want to know what to, what to, how to help you. And, and so, you know, everyone wins if you kind of communicate that. Okay, can we talk about how mentors can do better? Yes, we can. <laughs> um, one thing that I often hear is, is more senior faculty talk about is looking at earlier earlier stages of their careers and saying, boy, it used to be so easy back when I was a grad student, a postdoc, mm-hmm. you know, before I had all this service, before I had to be on external review committees, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, and, and it sounds to me a lot like the way that people talk about kids of like, Oh, enjoy it when they're infants, because then when they're teenagers, it's really going to be terrible. Um, <laughs> and, and, and it's possible that just everything in life progressively gets worse. That is possible. <laughs> um, but, but it's also possible that people are really bad at doing mental time travel. Mm-hmm. And it's really hard for us to remember the, the things that were hard about graduate school because now the things that, because the things that we were struggling to master in graduate school seem so easy to us now. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, isn't that great? You just got to sit around and read articles and like take classes and try to design studies and all those things. But like, the people who are saying that have gotten a ton better at doing all that stuff. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, of course it looks easy, but, but it, it wasn't when you were trying to learn it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's very easy to like downplay the challenges that people earlier in their careers are having um, because you just can't remember how hard those things used to be. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so, so that's, what's the actionable advice there is, um, <laughs> Don't assume because it seems easy to you. It is easy to the person who, you know, is working on it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think, you know, maybe, um, uh, um, I don't know. I, was, I mean, you know, something about empathy, having more empathy, but it's sort of like, just like trusting your mentees maybe. Right. So uh-huh. like if they say this thing is really stressing me out, uh, I'm just going to pick an, I'm going to pick an example, which may be a bad one. I have to, I've, I've been asked to review a journal article and it's really stressing me out. And I'm taking mm-hmm. days and days to do it. Um, now, I've reviewed a lot of journal articles, and uh, it doesn't stress me out, and it doesn't take me days and days and days usually. Um, and so I could dismiss that as, well, just get over yourself. It's, it's not a big deal, but but that would be bad. And so what mm-hmm. we're saying is like, hey, like let's enter into to what your mentee is going through and put yourself in their shoes and like trust them. that Like if they say this is hard – it, it, you know, it never helps just to tell someone like, just suck it up and deal or like, it's not as bad mm-hmm. as you think, like, mm-hmm. let's help them get through it more. Yeah. Um, and, and also like, you know, I, I feel, um, I'm very like confident and comfortable with the work that I do and the role that I play and, you know, the various hats that I wear with research and teaching and, and all of that. Um, and, and every once in a while I try to imagine like, how much harder would it be to do this? if you were like plagued by self doubt all the time, mm-hmm. you know, it, mm-hmm. just, just like no different experience, but just if my head was in a different place and I didn't like, if, if I wasn't confident, I was like, Oh yeah. I, like I remember grad school. I remember being like plagued by self doubt all the time. Mm-hmm. It makes mm-hmm. everything harder. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, it's really hard for us to walk in somebody else's emotional and mental experience and think about what that's like. But, mm-hmm. um, but it's also, I think really, important for helping people who are in a different place in life than you are. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think also we've talked about this kind of, um, uh, you know, survivorship bias too, but like, 
you know, I ended up on a career path that put me in a certain place, and, and I have only my own experiences, really, that I draw on with, um, you know, for graduate school and postdocs and research and stuff. It's very, very narrow. Okay. Uh, and so to, to be able to put myself in someone else's shoes requires, like, looking outside my own experience. Instead of being like, I remember when I was a third-year graduate student, just do this, because that's what uh-huh. I did. Like, uh-huh. which is so easy to do, even if we know right. that that's not very helpful, but uh-huh. still easy to revert to that. Um, but that's, it's really good not to do that. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. um, and, and the other thing I think is um, being mindful of how much harder things are. Well, no, not like I'm thinking about having conversations with students who wanted to like work in my lab or something. And after they had been working in my lab for years and we had gotten to know each other really well. They'll say things like, Oh, I remember that first email that I sent you where I was like, dear professor strand, I'm interested in working in your lab. Can we meet during your office hours, which on your website say are open for students to meet with you on, you know, whatever. They're like, I agonized over that email for days Mm -hmm. and I like showed it to my roommate and I like read it out (laughs) Uh loud, you know, whatever. And a thing that is just like not at all a big part of my day where I'm like, yeah, great. Let's meet. Sign up on the website. Just like it says you can, Mm -hmm. um, is like, is like such a big deal. Mm -hmm. And, and, and that, 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 um, there's that. There's also the things like, Hey mentor, can you read this paper and give me feedback on it? And mentor says, yeah, I have eight papers on my desk right now and I'll read it when I get to it. But that's like, that is that student's paper, right? Mm-hmm. And it, it is like the most important thing in their world right now. And so being mindful, especially of the like incredible position of power you are in to be, to be the more senior one. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like, for instance, if I have, if I have a draft of a student's manuscript, um, that is like the highest priority thing for me over a, a colleague's manuscript or my own manuscript or, you know, any, any other like research thing, because it's like, I know that they are like waiting on me. They can't mm-hmm. do anything else until I get that back to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and so understanding like the incredible position of power that, that mentors are in and then, you know, being as good to your students as you possibly can be mm-hmm. given that incredible imbalance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, so, you know, as, yeah, go uh, ahead. Um, as I have gotten further along in my career and I have realized how incredibly easy it is to be kind to and make a difference in the lives of people who are not as far along in their careers. It, like, like, it's, it's so easy, right? Mm-hmm. Like as, as a professor, as like a position in a, a person in a position of power, you know, like me saying nice things to a student about their work is like a big deal for them. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's like super easy for me to think of nice things to say about their work. So, so as, as I have like gotten farther along and realized how easy it is to make a big difference in the lives of people who are more junior than me, the more I realize that people who don't do that, like, it's so easy. If you're uh-huh. not doing that, you're like really doing it wrong. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. I agree with you. I just, I, I want to throw out there though, that, that there is a weird thing where, um, so it turns out, uh, uh, you know, listeners that it, it does not happen that one day you get a knock at the door and someone comes <laughs> in with a big gold medal 
And says, congratulations, Dr. Peel. You are now a mentor, the capital M. And you now, you have made it. And now you have power in the field and you must go and and do good. Uh, And I said, okay, thank you very much. I'll go do it. Um, And the change, uh, you know, something that's really, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure this is, you know, happened for, for everyone forever. But like when it happens to you, the change from being like a trainee or, or, or assumed a trainee or you see yourself as a trainee to sort of not being a trainee or right or through being more of a mentee to being more of a mentor or to being having less power to more power. Like these are all gradients. So it's hard to draw the line. Um, but then all of a sudden you wake up one day and you're like, Oh, actually, you know, I'm in a position to affect X, Y, and Z. But because no one comes through the door and gives you a big medal and, and a speech about it, um, that it can actually be hard to, to recognize that. At least I found that in my life. And so, um, you know, so just one example of many, but, you know, writing lots of journal articles to being a reviewer for lots of articles to now being on the editorial board for a couple of journals. Like for me, that was not like, aha, I am now an editor. I now have power to use wisely. Um, it was just like the next thing, you know, like you just kind of keep doing your thing and all of a sudden you're, you find yourself somewhere. So, um, so I do try to be very aware of that. Um, and hopefully use that power for good uh, and, and, and use my position for good. However, it really snuck up on me. And so I imagine I'm not the only one. Um, sure. So I think that there are a lot of senior people who like, uh, you know, intellectually know that they're more senior in the field, but have not had this epiphany. Um, uh-huh. with mm. all, all, so, right. <laughs> yeah. So just to be safe, just to be safe, you don't know if you're a mentor yet. Maybe you should just be really nice and helpful to everyone. <laughs> there you go. Just in case. I think that's the best approach. I like uh-huh. that. Yeah, but just pretend. Everyone should pretend they're a mentor and and uh, <laughs> just Act be nice to people, right? Can yeah. can we all just be nice to each other? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is true, and, and I think almost every. Well, here's the other way to think about this: is uh, almost all of us have someone who's who's looking up to us or looking to us as an, an example. Uh, whether it's a peer or someone a year behind us or someone who's an undergraduate or high school or whatever. Um, and so, so rather than feel like, you know, am I a mentor or not? Like, well, you know, there are people looking up to you and just try to do the best you can and be aware of that because people don't always know how to ask for that uh, advice. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. So in summary, if I may, uh, Seek out mentors. Doesn't have to be uh, intense when you seek them out. Think of it as making friends. It's good to have lots of mentors, lots of people who are, you know, interested in in, in your success. Uh, listen to yourself about knowing what you need and don't be afraid to ask people for things. And act like a good mentor starting right now. And then whenever you are actually doing the mentoring... You will have lots of practice. That's a great summary, Julia. Did right? I miss okay, everyone, right. start right now. Okay, <laughs> that's good. Also, listeners, how you doing? And by that I mean looking you in the eyes, saying how you doing. Uh, our email inbox is open: thejuiceandsqueeze at gmail Jonathan, how do we feel about email? We love it. We love it. We love it. We love hearing from you guys um, about this or any other topic, including future topics. Um, but while we're on mentoring, I'm sure we're going to talk about mentoring again. So we'd love to hear about your good and bad experiences and your questions 
um, that we can weigh in on. I don't think we had any links this week, but if we did, they would be at juiceandsqueeze.net slash 21, which is the website for this episode. I know, 21. And uh, I, I wish I had a beer that I could crack right next to the microphone right now. <laughs> happy, happy birthday, podcast. You Aww. are old enough in episodes to have this beer. Uh-huh. Um, and we really appreciate all of your all of your listening, all of your feedbacks, and all of your tweets about it. And, um, well, here's to many more. All right. Talk to you next time. Okay. Bye. Bye.